Hello, I'm Stephen Brown, and this is Radio Debrief with Sersha Morton and Alistair Russell. The last time we were in the studio was seven months ago before the corona pandemic. Sersha, how's your life been so far? It has been an interesting run-of-the-mill. Um, the past seven months have been profoundly stressful, no doubt, for everyone else. Um, and I feel we should clarify that right now we're not in the studio. I am not with the boys. I am sat in my bedroom with a wee mic, um, but we have been trying to figure out how to get back to you. We're more than keen to get on this, and uh, hopefully we can turn out something worth listening to. Anyone else just been gardening and baking? <laughs> I've been trying That's all to, I've been uh, doing. <laughs> I've been trying to stay away from the garden. That's not really my... It, it's one of those things that <laughs> I, I just don't like. It's not Stephen's forte, evidently. Mine. No. no. I spent my my past seven months working. Um, I live with someone who's who's super high risk, uh, so we we spent a lot of it also just locked down, not really leaving. I had a brief brush with the virus myself. That was interesting. Um, no, but the past seven months have been quite stressful, and I'm more than grateful to get back to some normality. I think I think we all are, to be honest. Yeah. Definitely the last few months have been quite good in the sense of normality has started to come back. But one thing I've definitely seen is that in myself and other people is that we're far, far more grateful for the things that we can do compared to the things that we were told we couldn't do before the coronavirus for whatever reasons. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, I completely get that. Uh, I've been in a position. I have uh, broken my my sort of streak. I have. I went to a pub. I don't. I didn't do that pre-coronavirus. Nobody. Nobody really knows that. Uh, but I was not a pub person. It's weird. It does. It does highlight life's little sort of importances. And you know, even through coronavirus, we were seeing so much happen. Um, I think. I think we we quite literally in the midst of like a second civil rights movement. Um, it's it is crazy. It's it's been strange to watch. It feels like twenty twenty really is coming out all guns blazing. We're in a completely different world. One mm. now that we're coming out of lockdown, or well, we're coming out of lockdown for now. We'll probably be back in lockdown soon, but we're in a completely different world than we were when we went into it. Yeah, it's it is um it's strange to say the least. Um, there are certain things that you just don't take for granted anymore. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, going back to normality. Uh, I don't think there will be a normal. I don't think that we will revert back to the way that we were pre-coronavirus for a long time. I think that things will be very different for a very long time. And I think what what will eventually happen, as with everything, is that human beings will adjust and adapt and that will become the reality and the normality. So we won't want to revert back. The new normal. The new normal that we all talk about. It it definitely goes back to what we were speaking in the lecture with one of our uh, esteemed lecturers, Alistair Duff. Mm. We were talking about how humanity for years has been worried and scared about doing not just social media, not just purchasing things online, but actually working from home, using the internet, and I think coronavirus has really helped us humans beings rely on the internet 
mm-hmm. they're not just commodity and you know but actual necessity that we are now using the internet for work reason even for education universities are doing a phased approach going back to university and it's really shown and um, not just how things have went bad for coronavirus but it's definitely you see what has been achieved by coronavirus by human beings and use of the internet mm-hmm. and like not not to not to sound like a, a sort of terrible optimist but that is probably one of the positives that's come out of it we're we're living in really interesting times and a lot of lot of terrible things have happened um i'm sure that anyone who's listening has been aware of you know coronavirus obviously it's been unignorable it's in fact it's affected every person on the planet but also the civil rights movements the black lives matter movements the technological advances that have been made um we've had to restructure things completely and if we're gonna say you know here's a positive that's come out of it um we really are I would I would go so far as to say that we are more in touch with everyone else on the planet than we ever have been and we are more aware of what we're capable of doing. It's waking up to realising that, that there are alternatives to old ways of getting things done and those aren't necessarily bad. And as students, we are in the midst of out with the old and in with the new mm. because we are suffering, enjoying, relishing, blended learning. So how are we finding online lectures? Well, I mean, our first lecture, uh, not going to name the lecture, but he did take a solid 20 minutes to turn on his camera. <laughs> apart, apart, from, apart from the starting jitters, it has been a good solid experience. It, it, it's interesting because um, I partook in, you know, uh, you can't see me, but like blended learning um for about two weeks before uh as we all probably listening are aware uh, there's been an uptick of uh, cases in student halls particularly in napier um which is what we're world uh, leaders on that we are indeed yeah <laughs> um it's been it's been interesting for me i partook in blended learning for two weeks and then i went entirely online um there are some things that just cannot be taught online um and in saying that, it is maybe worth discussing what the worth of an online course is in comparison to being able to go there, attend campus, use equipment. Um, and when when it comes to English uni students, uh, whether it's worth paying, what do they, are their fees? Nine and a half grand. You know, we are lucky in the, in the sense that I don't know if either of you two are paying for it. Uh, you get four years free in Scotland, essentially four years will be paid by the government um we're lucky in that it doesn't come out of our pockets um it goes straight to uni from the government but when you're paying and so much that you could you know pay rent for a year what is the the value of blended learning online learning in comparison to being able to be there i feel like we are speaking like online courses have not been a thing they, they have been for a very long time mm-hmm. we've had the OU a lot a lot and then a lot of people will be listening to this 
I mean, if they are, if anybody is. But <laughs> I mean, just, please listen know, to this. <laughs> if uh, they are listening, you know, they must be kind of boggling, thinking, "Well, we've had to owe you for so long." But I suppose online teaching has definitely, from coronavirus, went into the mainstream for not just universities, but in a lot of cases, primary and sometimes secondary schools. Mm. At the start of it, because online did start off, and it is going to continue for quite a wee bit. I mean, um, so in speaking about the OU, have any of the two of you ever done an OU course? Yes. No. So, uh, I did Scots Law through the OU. Um, now, the 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 value of a, an online university course when it comes to the open university is uh quite different at least for me personally so you first things first you'll pay less um because there's no in-person contact um but also like the learning experience is very different and i found the learning experience to be mm, not poor but uh i would i would prefer to be in person um the, the change has been interesting um and i i i wouldn't necessarily say that um it's been bad, but it has been. It it's required a lot of alteration from a lot of different people, and I wonder how that will impact the future of studies. Well, my experience with the OU was over coronavirus. Actually, I wanted to get a little bit of course info and a little bit of ed- more education to experience experience. So I looked up media. Uh, little courses that I did. Uh, I don't think they were poor, but it's the fact that you are by yourself. You can't mm-hmm. really go and contact a lecturer and say, hey, I'm really stuck on this. For those particular uh, courses, they're only like a few hours long. Mm-hmm. But I know the it, ones that you're it, speaking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're really good, really independent. If you mm-hmm. can do that, that's great, but I can't imagine for a lot of people that would be tough. Mm-hmm. Not just to do that by yourself, but also mix uh, a part-time job, sometimes even families, your social life. Mm-hmm. So for anybody who has completed an OU course that took three, four years, five, six, if you're doing, you know, going to be a doctor, I honestly commend you to do it. Because after two days of doing a few small ones, I... I'd had enough. It's, that's the nicest <laughs> way I can think of saying that. Yeah, mine were mine lasted. So I did mine in um, my sixth year of high school. Uh, it was I think it was the equivalent to a higher in Scots law, an advanced higher somewhere there. Um, I did mine throughout the entire year, and it, it really is a case of kind of fortitude. And I think that in that sense, you know, our degree, our online learning maybe worth a little bit more because we do have contact with some fantastic lecturers from our university um you know wonderful people who teach wonderful subjects and do wonderful jobs um and we have that benefit uh it's just as to whether it's worth the same as what we were getting before which was getting to sit in the in the big room with those wonderful people and have that physical contact and that immediate response um and that structure, I think that structure is a big part of it as well, and lifestyle. Um, but I suppose in speaking about coronavirus, we should segue directly into what we came here for. If you have previously tuned into the debrief, you know that we do love to get stuck in about it. 
Um, we like a good chat about current affairs and politics. And, uh, you know, in our last podcast, I believe we were we were making a conscious effort not to not to talk all about coronavirus. Um, seven I'll months later. That went. Seven months later, <laughs> it's kind of unavoidable. So, um, on the day that we're recording this, it is the 2nd of October. And we woke up to the news this morning that Donald Trump has coronavirus. An Ayrshire hotelier tested positive. (laughs) Um, And this comes directly after, so when was was the presidential debate? The 30th? Was that two days ago? I have, I can't fully remember. Um, It was uh, Tuesday night. Or was it Tuesday? It was Tuesday night. So three days ago now. the presidential debate was was three days ago, um, and Trump has tested positive alongside his wife Melania, the first lady. Um, allegedly. Allegedly, Alistair has some controversial opinions on this, um, but what I... we can say for certain before you get launching into your <laughs> conspiracy <laughs> theory is um, this will inevitably have an impact on the election, uh, whether that impacts his stance on coronavirus or the actual date of the election. My view on this is, and I'm just asking this question before any lawyers. Hypothetically. Hypothetically speaking, <laughs> it fits his agenda perfectly. It buries the news of his woeful tax contributions, which were $750. It buries the news of his refusal to condemn white supremacists. Mm. and it keeps him in the headlines Mm -hmm. and not necessarily a negative light and in saying that like you would be correct in that it fits his narrative something that we have seen from Trump time and time and time again is that conjuring up or publicising of something that sounds outrageous or ridiculous in order to bury uh, whether that's like a new bill that's being passed or something he's signing into law. I'm pretty sure that we saw him do it with um, trans folks in the army um, with tax law that he was changing um, with the uh, status on immigration and refugees every single time that something big goes on um, he just loses it and he does something ridiculous in saying that though it's it's uh, at the moment it's very plausible that he has coronavirus it is it is a global pandemic i think it uh, is also like... going to apologies alistair <laughs> it, it, it will also undoubtedly delay the second debate which mm. puts him down to the ground as well and it could we could well see given that biden spent Tuesday evening, about six feet away from him, shouting at, being shouted at. Could that be the first president? I and mean, they're both not young. Mm. They're both in their late 70s. Could this yeah. be a presidential debate so toxic that it kills both its participants? <laughs> <laughs> well, it would it would be interesting to see, um, to say to say the least. I'm hoping that Biden is at least getting tested as a result of this. Um, I think it would be silly maybe not to. I think I think he is yeah um it would be interesting to see and to figure out you know what's going on I I as somebody who is not Trump's biggest fan 
um, it is it's quite stressful um, because you absolutely there is no doubt in my mind that he will use this in some which way to his advantage. It's just yeah, a case of finding out it, how. It's, it's it's there's so many sort of ways he can use this to his advantage. One of them is that if he wins the election, in which a lot of people are saying he will go go and do that, is that he's going to say oh. I had coronavirus, Biden didn't win, this is ridiculous, he's such a weak person. And mm. even if he loses, he'll claim coronavirus, you know, mm. would you know, affected him, and that there should be a recount, or it should put, be put through the Supreme Court. And there are just so many uh, ways that he could use this to his advantage. But so... the question is, what is Biden going to do to use this mm. so in in saying that did have both of you two watched at least the highlights of that presidential debate yes well my my highlight of that presidential debate was when he was just asked things when he was asked how much tax did he pay and he just said millions, millions of, of dollars, dollars millions, millions, millions of dollars, dollars. I paid millions and millions and millions of dollars in tax um so having watched that um I got about, I want to say, an hour into the, the full thing before I, I I promptly hung up my boots and I went for a sleep. <laughs> um, having watched that, how do we think it's going to go down? Ignoring all other factors, ignoring, you know, coronavirus, ignoring the fact that Trump is infected, the fact that Biden could be, were we just to focus on the straight up facts like we could have done a day ago, how do we think it's going to go? I, I genuinely don't know. I, I still think it could go either way. I mean, you'd like to think that sense would prevail and the orange monstrosity wouldn't get a second term after everything that's happened this year. But I but suppose normal politics mindset. died in 2016 and it's very, yeah. very plausible that you will get a second term. We had the same mindset in a 2016 with Hillary Clinton uh, this man is outrageous, there is no way that he can win um, people will have common sense and vote him uh, and, and vote her instead of him and look at what happened uh, technically they did technically the people did vote Hillary Clinton but the electoral college is in such a way that Trump won um, I'm of the opinion that he'll win again, I think he'll get a second term I think the big advantage Biden has over Trump is that he was vice president for eight years. Mm -hmm. He has experience. He was under Obama. He had lots of power. My big, the big disadvantage about Biden is that he's not much of a talker. He really oh, can't seem terrible. to get. He can't seem to get that passion that lots of politicians have struggled in the past. You can compare him to Keir Starmer, for example, who is the head of the opposition of the Labour Party in the UK. He has lots of good points, mm -hmm. very, very you know, ma manipulative in getting the rhetoric in the correct sense, but it's the way he speaks and it's the way he can try and connect to the voters and the electorate that he will struggle with. Yeah. It's interesting because this has been uh, a point of contention for a lot of people and a deal breaker, deal breaker 
Um, but a lot of people have drawn the, the sort of Joe Biden has dementia card. Um, I don't know if you've seen that cutting about. Um, I've, it, I mean, I mean, I've seen it for both of the candidates. Yeah. I um, mean, when you hear Donald Trump and both Biden speaking, they, they get direct questions. And the majority of the time, unfortunately for Biden, uh, they sort of sway off. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's Biden. Um, Biden certainly has that draw of popularity from his time with Obama. Uh, I think we, it would it would be naive to say that Obama hasn't stuck with particularly like Gen X and millennials in America. So like your your forty to, to mid twenties age age range, maybe maybe even up to fifty. He he is a he's a big fan. People are big fans of him in the in the liberal sort of camp, um, and I think that Biden definitely has some carryover. But like you say, he is a terrible speaker, and that is not necessarily his fault. Um, I think they've they've worked really hard to make sure that people are aware that he has uh, quite a bad stutter that he's been working on trying to get over. But he is he's not good at public speaking. He's not a powerful stage presence. He has decent points that when given the opportunity he can line out um but like in the election uh, in the in the debate for the election uh, he could not get a word in edgeways because mm-hmm. when you're stood beside trump he is just shouting and trump's the exact spraying opposite his germs. yeah spitting uh, on everyone spraying coughing his, spraying his virus <laughs> um I trump's do... the exact opposite i do, i totally agree with that trump last four years ago when he won the main thing a lot of probably people did vote for was his charisma mm-hmm. and the way he's able to dominate a conversation and he was seen as this sort of new person who wasn't a politician and he was going to change things and the last four years we have not seen him change anything he's mm-hmm. made things worse what another Biden advantage is he has over Trump is that through the debate we saw last week he was clear on a good amount of pledges that he made that he wanted to do and unfortunately for trump he was a his self and he kept up his reputation and i think a lot of people in america are becoming sick of it Mm. and i think that is going to play into biden's pocket very well we we've been having quite a few chats about this because as as young journalists as people who are tapped into politics um it is impossible to ignore this sort of monstrous overlord that is the american election every time it comes up um trump i i you know he's been in politics four years and he still doesn't feel like a politician um and he he doesn't he doesn't play into the cards of trying to sway people to vote for him. What he will do is he will focus on a small group of people that are dedicated voters and he will hammer out his points to them. And um, we attended a class today in investigative journalism led by Eamon O'Neill, wonderful lecturer at our university. Um, there was an interesting documentary that all of us watched. It was about 22 minutes. It's on Channel 4 um, about voter suppression and... Uh, putting them off of putting certain people off of going to vote and that disproportionately affected uh you know generally working class black families that is 
his that's the that's the aim of the game it's to get people to not vote and the ones who want to vote for him to vote for him um they they didn't bother trying to switch clinton voters over they just decided let's make everyone else not want to vote and you know they do a fair job of it uh i the amount of americans that i know who are like i'll just sway off voting because they're both as bad as one another Mm-hmm. And we have, in breaking news, in mm-hmm. the midst of our recording, is Joe Biden and his wife have tested negative for coronavirus. Well, that's a positive. Good. So, this will be interesting then to see what goes from this. Um, Biden's negative, Trump's positive. Hmm. Well, now there, now there's a headline. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what comes of this um, and in saying this a swift segue onwards speaking about politicians with coronavirus in Scottish news uh, Margaret Ferrier um, MP with the SNP no longer with the SNP I should say attended uh, the House of Commons got public transport there, got public transport back after being tested for coronavirus, um, subsequently tested positive and then proceeded to travel home uh, on the on a train, public transport, uh, knowing that she had tested positive. Let's Which talk about that. stupid. That is the most ridiculous it's thing that I've ever heard. It's selfish, it's... ridiculous. So... I, I'm really... It's... So many, so many people made sacrifice after sacrifice. So many people kept the rules consistently, mm-hmm. and it's and it's shown in the last of the pandemic that it's the people who are telling us to keep to these rules who are breaking them. Mm-hmm. If you look at Dominic Cummings and a number of MPs, including a very high-profile of an MP. Mr. Johnson. The thing indeed. is, though, the SNP throughout this have been very good yeah. at preaching the rhetoric of we are all in this together. This is all of us together. This is us. And well, then you look at the way the Conservative government at Westminster have handled it, and it is completely different. It is you, it's not us. Well, so what's interesting is I cannot remember her name for the life of me and this is gonna I am in the midst of Googling it. Um the previous was it the health minister or the health health advisor with the SNP Catherine Scottish Government. Calderwood. Catherine Calderwood broke lockdown laws uh and subsequently resigned, stepped down. Um now you can you can you can say um, Margaret what Margaret Ferrier did was worse than Dominic Cummings. I'd be inclined to agree. Using public transport while knowing that you're positive for coronavirus is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, the moment that you get tested, you should begin self isolating. The moment you ex- display symptoms, you should begin self isolating. Um, but if you're going to draw comparisons between what the Conservatives are doing and what the Scottish government has been doing, um, the best one to do is Dominic Cummings and Catherine Calderwood. Those are two mm. very similar situations. Um, I mean, I mean, Catherine, Catherine Calderwood didn't test her eyesight with a two-year-old child in the back. So. Well, <laughs> there we go. Um, but Catherine Calderwood stepped down. Dominic Cummings was not only uh, not advised to step down, 
but was defended by the British government. Um, Margaret Ferrier, the way that, and whether you're a fan of Nicola Sturgeon or not, the way that it has been handled by the SNP and by Nicola Sturgeon and Ian Blackford uh, has been pretty exemplary. Mm -hmm. In a statement on Twitter, Nicola Sturgeon was clear on her message. She quote-unquote said, I've spoken to Margaret Ferrier and made my made clear my view that she should step down as an MP. I did so with a heavy heart. She's a friend and a colleague, but her actions were dangerous and indefensible. I have no power to force an MP to resign, but I, sh- I hope she will do the right thing. This mm-hmm. is another example of Nicola Sturgeon being clear with the public on her opinion, not just in health and safety messages, but also in the manage in the management of her MPs in Westminster. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I've said, we can talk about Nicola Sturgeon, and uh, oddly enough, on my part, she's a very controversial figure in Scotland. Um, and I, 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 I will never understand why, um, because throughout all of this, it has been quite clear that what she's done has been, in, in you know, very clear, very concise, and obviously in the nature of public health. Um, Scotland has been favouring public health over economy, which, as somebody who uh, cares about the health of my very unwell friend, uh, I. I, I appreciate that um, very much. Um, economy can be saved, dead lives can't be. And um, you watch her press briefings, you watch the way that she speaks with politicians. Um, she is always straight to the straight to the point. There's no dancing around questions. Um, you're getting answers from her. Uh, I think that amidst all of this, she has been one of the best leaders in the Western world who's dealt with coronavirus, just in terms of dealing with the public and press. Uh, it feels like nothing is being hidden, mm. if that uh, makes you, sense. You compare her with Boris Johnson in multiple conferences. Boris Johnson's conferences are pre-recorded most of the time, mm. and he can't string a sentence together. He can't <laughs> He cannot put a clear message ahead and Nicola Sturgeon, day after day, week after week, she has shown that she can go live on TV, clear message, mm-hmm. strong messaging, and she can captivate our audience. And Boris Johnson has not done that. And that's why a lot of people are now considering, thinking, and even changing their mind on the possibility of Scottish independence. Yeah, well this has been something that's interesting to watch because again, I will I will repeat it until the ends of times, you do not have to like the SNP uh, but I feel that Nicola Sturgeon is an exemplary politician. She cares you about the people not, in her country. You don't not buy a house because you don't like the wallpaper. You can redecorate mm-hmm. when you move in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and uh, I find that probably one of the best comparisons for her, and I think she knows this, is Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand. Um, you know, two very strong women leading relatively liberal countries um, who have been exemplary politicians throughout all of this. Um, it's been interesting to watch. And as somebody who, you know, it's it's no secret that, like, 
I will vote SNP. Um, I, my, my faith in the SNP has wavered as of late, um, primarily due to LGBT issues, but that's another, that's a conversation for another day. Um, I, I find Nicola Sturgeon to be consistently inspiring and uh, consistently excellent at what she does. If, if you're going into politics, I imagine that you'd want to be like her as opposed to Dominic Cummings or Boris Johnson. As, as we are broadcasting, we uh, we have to stick to impartiality rules, so yeah. I'm now going to suggest that coronavirus isn't that ba- all that bad. There are some good points too. Uh, it deserves some sympathy for having recently infected Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's having a difficult battle there, and obviously it's also inside Donald Trump's body. So um, God, I feel sorry for it there. And it's also done a brilliant thing. And the, the Edinburgh Christmas markets have been cancelled. Uh, what do we think geez, about that? Thank, so, thank God. So <laughs> I believe you can, out you of... can finally walk down Prince's Street without seeing a couple holding hands about <laughs> one thing coronavirus has stopped. Out of all three of us, was I the only one who lived in Edinburgh through uh, the summer? Uh, I think you yes. were, yeah. Okay. So I live uh, permanently in Edinburgh. I intend to live here past my studency. Studency, that's a new word. I've invented it. Um, and the, I was I was part of the crowd that was... It felt like I had been liberated when they announced that the August festival was off, the, the Edinburgh f- festival. Because living here during those periods of time, uh, it's excellent for culture, it's excellent for art, it's excellent for economy, but good lord, <laughs> it took me an hour to get places that it would have taken me 15 minutes before. <laughs> um, it's and exactly the same with the Fringe Festival. You can't mm-hmm. walk down the Royal Mile just straight for a solid 10 seconds without having to divert your route and where mm-hmm. you're heading to. And and so while I while I appreciate the the Christmas market and all of its joys, and um, it is I, I I mean it sort of is a staple for me. I've lived in Edinburgh now uh, a couple of years. Um, we'd take a, a wee gander down um, every time it was on, but we'd never buy anything. Um, but we'd take a wee peruse. I think that it it's 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 a good idea to give it a break. I don't know if any of you saw the state of Princess Street Gardens. Um, oh, it was disgraceful. <laughs> they're tearing down trees, ripping up the grass, the mud everywhere. If anything, nature will heal for it. Um, hmm. I, I'm, I'm quite grateful to see at that least a quiet one of, year. One of three benefits I can think for having the festivals cancelled over the Christmas period. Mm-hmm. It gives the gardens a chance to recover. Two, I will be able to walk down Princess Street in the first week of November and not hear sodding Mariah Carey all I want for Christmas blasted at me <laughs> and number three people won't have to apply for passes to get into their own homes this Hogmanay oh Christ yeah that's the, I, I mean... remember yeah I remember the anger on social media like do people really need to apply for a permit to go into their own home it does feel as though the community in Edinburgh is sort of sidetracked for the sake of profit. And are the Hogmanay celebrations also run by Underbelly? Yes, they are. Uh, okay, the, the, irony, the irony of them making people apply for passes to get into their own homes last year is that they were only allowed six passes per household. <laughs> How far it's, we have come in, it is, it in is, ten months. 
I suppose if they keep to those same rules, they are still keeping to rule of six. Exactly. <laughs> but they must be from two households, remember? Oh. Uh, that's it. So you can have your granny and uh, you can have one of your cousins over, so long as they live together. Your granny, your granddad, and a cousin. That's uh, it. What about a family of two parents and four children? Sorry, you will be stopped or- at the door. Or even two parents and five children that want that want a friend over, they're gonna to have to pick and choose who their favourite mm-hmm. child is. No uh, you have to get can... you have to get out for the night, you can't have a pass. The others can go out for a walk while the other one comes in. That's <laughs> what happens. Um no, I, I've I, it has been more than welcome this kind of the quiet that has come with the cancellation of the festival and also the cancellation of the Christmas market. Their alternative to the Christmas market is to put up some new shiny lights, which I will be uh, looking forward to from my ransacked treat street. Um, uh, I have been absolutely decimated by the tram works. I cannot get anywhere, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what twinkly lights they put on the scaffolding for that. Um, it'll they be like, interesting to Frankie see. Boyle once said, it'll be like putting 24-inch rims on a wheelie bin. Well, that is very much. I don't. Did you guys ever see the Christmas lights last year when you were uh, going up through George Street and they taken like string lights and wrapped them round trees? I saw them. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a wee patch that they just stuck on it. Um, it was like they were left over with stuff after they put everything else. And thought, oh shit! What are we going to do with these? Yeah, it's you know. If the Christmas market is is that important, perhaps we ought to find another route of income. Um, because the Christmas market is, I, I don't know if everyone will agree with me on this or anyone who comes down as like a yearly tourist. The Christmas market is underwhelming. Um, it is. Maybe it's that's rubbish. just as a staple though, because I've been so many times now. It's all the same rubbish that you find in Christmas markets up and down the country. There's nothing local. There's no. Yeah independent local sellers that would be the better way to do it well that's the thing and so maybe that should be an alternative that we look into this year um supporting independent business um highlighting i know that uh so i live in the lease area um they're doing a lot more sort of local market things over here um but leith as a as a sort of area has always had pretty intense community spirit um Maybe this is what we should be focusing on. And I know that I see a thing, a lot of saying Amazon is, uh, you know, don't support Amazon this year, support local businesses and we can keep them around. That is unbelievably true. Um, I think through all of this, and if uh, I think we got we got about five minutes left on the podcast, we maybe spend the last five minutes having a chat about making sure that you're supporting your local businesses um, because it, economy means nothing if your local economy is not okay. Exactly. Um, so underbelly, get independent local people in, and we've solved all your problems for you. We expect our check in the post. Mm-hmm. Going back to the underbelly Christmas festival, there's nothing, you know, Scottish about the Christmas festival. Yeah. They could use this time to rethink and reimagine how they can bring Scottish local businesses to the Christmas market, and really not just make it a tourist attraction make it an attraction for the people of Scotland to take pride in mm-hmm. to make it um, a focal point of a, Chris, of a Christmas season in Scotland you know if, if there's one thing that I know uh, about this area it is that uh, we are sort of 
excellent at championing things that are born and bred here and not in that like pseudo racist way <laughs> not in the way that we're like british and born in britain but in the way that um we recognize our worth uh, and i think it would be uh, we, we are we are entering what what people are calling the lar- largest global recession of the century which is kind of scary um but we're seeing a lot of family grown you know born and bred here we are businesses shutting down uh and that's that's really sad um i would love to see an uptick in local business local community um really making the effort to support uh people around us i mean i know in leith again because of the tram works uh they the business was going so poorly that they literally had to create um like a a discount that they would apply to every single business on leith walk um independently owned you can register online and you get like 10% off of every purchase you make because nobody was going to shop there um if we spend more time highlighting local businesses and supporting them through all of this i think it conjures up something that's that's worth a bit more than some twinkly christmas lights and a shack in a in a muddy field <laughs> yeah i completely agree with that I think uh, there has to be some reimagination and there has to be some support for local businesses in which Ruth Davidson a few weeks ago in First Minister's Questions did highlight this with Nicola Sturgeon as there was nothing uh, in her package for the winter mentioning Mm -hmm. this and it's very irregular that you'll hear me agreeing with Ruth Davidson Yeah. but on this point I think she's correct Mm mm-hmm um it's 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 interesting um i think two areas that are that are regularly underfunded and particularly in covid times by the scottish government are local businesses um we take them for granted because uh you know profit wise the tax that they put in is probably uh not the same as a massive multi-billion company providing that they're not using tax havens um, but also the arts. The arts have really been scuppered by um, COVID and the Scottish government. And it's sad to say um, most of the theatres in Edinburgh have let go at least half of their staff and are now crowdfunding to stay afloat. Yeah, we've seen this with multiple venues, not just in theatre, but lots of nightclubs. Mm-hmm. The nightclub of Subclub in Glasgow did a big uh, crowd fundraiser and they they did get a lot but calvin harris mm-hmm. don't know if anybody knows who that is but uh <laughs> he uh, he donated the, a, a big chunk of his money to make sure that the culture nightlife for young people does stay afloat during this time mm-hmm. so then people who do come of age who are 17 and who just came, became 18 when this is over, they can d- enjoy... Experience the misery this. of a proper night out in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even, you know, you look at places like Sneaky Pete's. Um, mm. I remember when all this kicked off and Sneaky Pete's were really... They were struggling. Um, and to be fair, they probably still are. I'll take another look. Um, it is about... Uh, I think the most important thing that we can focus on as a community, as Scottish people, as British people right now, is keeping alive our culture of, and in Edinburgh, Glasgow, you know, Central Belt specifically, this rich culture of like nightlife, 
music, phenomenal, phenomenal theatre and art, um, and also excellent local businesses that deserve your support. Um, it's it's weighing up um, convenience over sort of. I don't want to call it models because I don't think it's necessarily models. I think it's just convenience over quality and knowing where things go. It is. It, it's 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 a it's a bit of a process, but I think if the government aren't going to do it, then maybe it's maybe it's down to the people to ensure that these these sort of staples continue. And long may they survive. <laughs> we hope and pray. And with that, I believe that we have neared the end of our set time for this evening's recording. It has been a joy to return to your airways once has. again. It definitely we is. Pre- it's- it has been a long seven months. Mm-hmm. We hope that it won't be seven months before our next podcast. It absolutely but should not be. If it is, we have some fantastic writers on board the debrief team now, so check we out our website indeed. for some fantastic articles that they have been quite literally churning out. Oh, and absolutely. We, uh, we have big plans coming up as well. And follow us on our socials, as Stephen says. <laughs> it's been a joy. <laughs> we are, I believe we are at Radio Debrief pretty much everywhere. <laughs> and with that, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for thank listening. Thank you and good night.